I wanted to feel better mentally, but I didn't want to yet put on weight. I didn't want anyone to know what to look for because then I knew that they'd try and stop me. The fear of gaining weight becomes so significant that it sort of outweighs the fact that you know that you're destroying your body. But after a while, the fear of eventually maybe not being able to have children or not being able to live started to outweigh that for me. So I started to sort of see the light and see that I needed to get better, but I did it by myself. So it was, it was bloody hard. Welcome to the Seize the Yay podcast. Busy and happy are not the same thing. We too rarely question what makes the heart sing. We work, then we rest, but rarely we play and often don't realise there's more than one way. So this is a platform to hear and explore the stories of those who found lives they adore. The good, bad and ugly, the best and worst day will bear all the facets of seizing your yay. I'm Sarah Davidson, or Spoonful of Sarah, a lawyer turned fun entrepreneur who swapped the suits and heels to co-found Matcha Maiden and Matcha Milk Bar. Seize the Yay is a series of conversations on finding a life you love and exploring the self-doubt, challenge, joy and fulfilment along the way. Hello, beautiful people. In case you didn't read elsewhere, this is the audio from our first ever live show. So for the first time, you'll hear some giggles from the audience. It was so surreal, but incredible to actually see some of you face to face. Thank you all so much for coming and packing out Mercedes Me Melbourne for the occasion. I cannot wait to do more of these next year. So if you missed out, don't worry, we'll be doing it all again. And I'll be sending around a follow up email with links for the Butterfly Foundation, the photos and more in the coming week. All right. Everyone went quiet very quickly. I know. I'm like, if I was nervous before, now I'm even more nervous. No, my palms are sweaty. Now my pits are sweaty. <laughs> I've had sweaty pits. This is why I wore long sleeves. <laughs> yeah, same. And not grey. Grey is not good for sweat. Yeah, I know. This is white, white and pink. <laughs> Amazing. We've, we've, we've come a long way. <laughs> so my name is Sarah Davidson, which you all know is a new name, which is very Ooh. exciting. This is the beautiful Olivia Molly Rogers. I tried to call you Olivia Rogers earlier and I was like, I can't Doesn't do it without right. Molly. <laughs> Doesn't have the same ring to it anymore, I don't think. It is such a pleasure to have you all here today. I literally have said to already about half of you, like, what are you all doing here? I don't understand. But I'm so excited and honoured to be doing our very first live Seize the A show. So... <laughs> It's so exciting. I was just saying, usually you record and it's just me and the guest in our trackies on a couch and it's so weird to see you all in person. So I appreciate it so much that you've come down to spend your night with us. So to get started, I was going to make you all sing the Seize the A song, but I've decided against it because Nick told me it was a terrible idea. <laughs> I and thought we, that was happening, so I practised the words. Oh, oh my, we could, we could go a cappella. Oh no, let's not. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure the beautiful Olivia needs no introduction, but just quickly to read cap our gorgeous gorgeous guest won all our hearts when she was crowned Miss Universe Australia in 2017 Olivia is far from just a pretty face so before you let any beauty pageant stereotypes creep in she is also a qualified speech therapist and an very accomplished self-taught artist which I absolutely love. You're very you generous with your words. A woman Thank of you. many talents, also almost fluent in Japanese and just such a brilliant mind and one of the most beautiful people to be around. So I'm so honoured to have you here today. Thank you. 
She's also become a very keen ambassador and advocate for body positivity and mental health awareness, using the social media influence that she built as a platform to create change and raise awareness for causes closest to her heart, which we will talk a lot about. And I'm not sure if all of you knew at the time that you bought your tickets, but we are donating a dollar at least for every person in the room to the Butterfly Foundation from tonight. I will... <laughs> So I will let our chat unveil the rest. It is so weird to be doing this and looking at people at the same time. <laughs> um, but let's first give the beautiful Olivia a very warm welcome. Thank you. And can we please give you a big congratulations on organising tonight because it looks amazing. Oh, and what a turnout. Here's one I prepared earlier. <laughs> None of this was actually me, but it's such a beautiful venue. So thank you so much, Mercedes, me, for having us tonight. So as you all know, the very first question for everyone who comes on this show is what the most down-to-earth thing is about them, particularly because in this day of social media and the digital age, which is so exciting because it means you can connect and network with people, build a podcast and create a neighbourhood as beautiful as you guys. But it also means that Everyone else's lives are incredibly visible. It often appears a bit like a highlight reel. And I think sometimes it's really important to cut through that glossy social media surface that you can sometimes end up with, which Olivia is already amazing at doing. But to break the ice, what is something down to earth about you? I've been thinking about this a bit because I knew that it was coming. <laughs> and I asked Justin and he wasn't very helpful. Um, I asked my mum, she also wasn't very helpful. So <laughs> I was thinking about it when I was practising... Um, my speech job last week. On Thursday, I usually practice Thursday, sometimes a little bit more, sometimes a little bit less. Um, but I have this one client and he is profoundly autistic. He's eight years old and he's nonverbal. So we do a whole lot of different communication. And I was sitting there with him. He doesn't like playing with conventional toys. Like anything that I bring to him, he throws and breaks. There was one that he liked the other day, but he threw it onto the roof not long into the session. So I was like, okay, that's that gone. Um, we were sitting in the dirt because he really likes the feeling of dirt and throwing dirt and rubbing it on his hands and rubbing it on my hands. So I was sitting there in the dirt and I was like, maybe this is it. This is pretty down to earth because I was in the earth. Yeah. <laughs> Literally in the earth. <laughs> so I think we'll go with that. <laughs> I love that so much because on the outside, you know, this is Miss Universe Australia, like one of the most incredibly beautiful people going around and yet fingers in the dirt in her normal job. And <laughs> I, I love that you have that down to earth side of you. Thank you. And no, such a compassionate really side as well. Thanks. My mum did say, she was like, you're not judgy. I was like, I can't really say, like, that sounds pretty, I don't know. <laughs> I can't say I'm not judgy. I'm not judgy. Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So the first segment, as you all know, is called Way TA. Again, it is so weird saying this in real life, but so exciting. <laughs> and I love that you guys actually know what I'm talking about. I say Way TA to people and they're like, what? Highway? What are you talking about? <laughs> So, Way TA, which is the story of how Olivia got to where she is today. And I think it's so important to cover this off because you often see people, you know, it's an overnight success, 10 years in the making, but you don't see all the steps along the way to get there. And also all the times that people didn't know what the next step was. You often think that people, you know, always had this goal and they, they knew where they wanted to go, but most of us lose our path along the way multiple times before we find the thing that makes us yay. So let's go back to the very, very beginning, to young Olivia. Mm. So Adelaide, South Australian girl, which I yeah. love that you've still stayed very true to. And I read that you were quite an insecure child, which I find very interesting given yeah. how confidently that you now are able to present yourself. So take us back to those very early days in your childhood and what you were like. <laughs> 
I was a massive nerd. I still am a nerd, um, but I think it was more obvious then. It's kind of more hidden now, probably. But, yeah, I was very insecure. I don't think from, from a very young age, but from about eight, my parents split up and I just I took that really hard and I think I sort of went into my shell a bit. Um, I loved to paint, so I would just sort of go into my room and paint for hours by myself. I was a little bit of a loner. Um, <laughs> I wasn't very good at sport at all. Like, you'd throw a ball at me, it would hit me in the face. Um, so, yeah, I wasn't into sport. I was very into my academics, uh, threw myself into my studies and got picked on by my siblings a lot. And, yeah, <laughs> I think that pretty much sums me up at that age. But, um, yeah, my parents splitting up was definitely a big shaping thing, uh, moment for me, I suppose. I think for a lot of people in your pivotal growth years, it can be a really unsettling thing to have, you know, your stability kind of pulled out from underneath you when you're still just trying to find out what, you know, boobs are and, like, what boys are and what life is and what yeah. purpose is. It's already so much to deal with without having that kind of thing thrown at you. And I think that's probably around the time, just looking back at the story, that your weight gain and your, you know, fascination with kind of controlling the things that you could control in your world started to happen, which I think happens for a lot of people in, you know, the area of eating disorders, that it does start much more as a control thing than anything else. Yeah. So, I mean, my eating disorder didn't happen for a long time after that, but I think there were probably triggers that happened around that time. So my siblings and I all gained a whole lot of weight when my parents split up because we ate our feelings. So we, mum would be like, please don't be sad, like have an ice cream and a burger and all the food. Um, so we turned to food and we all became quite chubby. I was definitely self-conscious, but I don't think I realised just how much weight I'd gained or why I was self-conscious. I don't think you can really correlate. Like, you can't work out the correlation when you're that age. So I didn't know that it was being bigger that was making me self-conscious. But there were definitely a couple of times when I was like, oh, okay. Like, you know, when you're being given T-shirts at school or something and everybody's as small and I was getting the medium or the large and I was like, why am I bigger than all my friends? And there was a moment where someone tapped me on the shoulder thinking I was another kid in my class. And she was, like, I thought of her as she was quite a big girl. And I was like, oh, my God, is that how people see me? Because they thought from behind that I was the same girl. But in my head, I wasn't that size. But I think that was sort of a moment of clarity. And then when I realised that I was bigger and I didn't want to be. So I do remember going home and saying to mum, I don't want to be, you know, crying to her and saying I don't want to be different. So I think back then, I, I was about 12, maybe 11, so pretty young. So for a pretty young age to sort of be conscious of weight. Yeah, and it is such a hard thing. I think part of your youngest years when you're first, you know, understanding relationships and, and who you are, difference is such a, you perceive it as such a bad thing. So in any Definitely. way that you're different from someone else, like I was completely Asian in a very white Caulfield North Primary School, and it was confusing. I was like, my parents are white. Like, clearly, I'm white in my face, like, obviously. But, you know, <laughs> it, it, what is a difference at, at such a young age is so hard for you to deal with, but yeah. then later your individuality becomes something you love and you embrace and that you learn to appreciate as yeah. making you special. And people say that when you're younger, but you don't... Yeah, you're like... You don't you... think it means anything. Yeah, sure. totally. Yeah. So, at that time, how did you ultimately... So, you did start out in the modelling industry which I think is quite an interesting jump considering that you had gone through this so early in your time. Mm. What did you think that you wanted to be and was that step into modelling as a career choice or was it something you kind of fell into but you still had career ambitions elsewhere? Did your art 
kind of occupy the part of your mind that you thought you wanted to do it full time? Where was your brain at? at My brain was confused. (laughs) Mine still is. Probably some of you are after that question. Um, I always loved painting, but I never saw it as something that would be my career because all my life people had said to me that I was a talented drawer, a talented artist. Um, I didn't really believe them. I wasn't very good at taking compliments, especially from a young age. And they'd say, you know, you could be an artist one day, but they don't make much money, so you probably shouldn't. I was like, okay, confusing. Like, you're telling me I can be good at this, but maybe don't do it. Um, So I actually didn't end up doing it in year 12. I was like, no, I'm, I'm okay at that, but I don't want someone telling me whether or not I'm good at it based on their opinion. So I threw myself into subjects that I knew that it's either right or wrong, like physics and biology. You know, you can rote learn it and you can get it right. So being the nerd that I was, and I was definitely a bit of a perfectionist as well, I, I just studied really hard. I liked to get good marks. And, you know, my, my siblings were good at sports, so they'd win on the weekend and they'd get praise from our parents from that. But I didn't get that because the ball would hit my face. So I <laughs> had, to, had to find another way to you know, get that sort of, I wanted that approval and that was from getting good grades. So, yeah, so I did all of the science-y kind of subjects and I loved it. So initially I sort of saw myself going into something medical, maybe teaching, maybe physio. My dad's a doctor, he really pushed for medicine, but I think medicine's something that you really need to want yourself to be able to get through it. It's definitely a hard slog. Mm. So, yeah, then I, I heard about speech pathology and I was like, that sounds like a bit of a combination of you know, psychology, which I'd thought about, other allied health professionals, like helping people. And also, I love the idea of working with children. So it combined a lot of the things that I was interested in. Yeah, so art sort of fell to the side. I locked in speech pathology and then modelling was something that had literally never crossed my mind. Like, I would look at magazines and think that the girls in there were stunning, but I'd never think I want to do that. Like, it just wasn't something that I'd considered at all. I think in that last little paragraph you kind of covered off every single topic that I would ever want to explore with CCA. (laughs) (laughs) Firstly the idea that what you end up in is often something that you never had considered and you just fall into. Secondly the fact that you have been able to find a career that you didn't have to leave in order to be able to find your joy. You've been able to continue to practice as a speech pathologist and live this whole other life that's incredibly diverse at the same time. And then also that for a lot of people, your yay being particularly your art, like that creative expression of yourself, is something that you don't necessarily have to make your job. And I think that's something that's really hard to grapple with for, for a lot of us because you do think, I need to be passionate in my work and my passion needs to be my work or I need to be passionate about my work. But for some people, that kills the joy, like you were saying. If you that were... definitely does with my art. If, yeah. I'm, if I commit to too many orders, mm. like I'm not really taking them at the moment because it becomes a stressful thing and I don't want it to be a stressful thing. I like to be able to sit when, I'm, when I am stressed and paint and feel better rather yeah. than paint to finish an order quickly and then, yeah, hitting deadlines when, with painting is not fun. Or if you were given a brief that was really yeah. restricted and it wasn't kind of in line with where your yeah. creative juices were going. Like, I love that you've been able to keep things really balanced, but it hasn't just been a very singly focused journey of like, this is the one thing I want to do. It's, I'm going to do all the things. I know, it's been a bit <laughs> random. <laughs> but that's what the best journeys are. Yeah. <laughs> so then there was actually quite a big sidestepping into modelling. So around 17, you were scouted and yeah. then moved to Sydney. Yeah, so I was scouted. I got a message on Facebook from an agent oh. in Adelaide. Yeah, she. I thought the message had gone to the wrong person. I was like, what? 
I was still this insecure, chubby kid that I had been years before. And it had been a few years. I'd definitely lost a bit of weight, but through that time, a lot of things had happened in my family. My dad has bipolar. We found that out when I was 11. And him being sick on and off really affected my mental health. So I think I never really got better um, in terms of my insecurities. It definitely flared up anxiety and different things in me. Um, so I didn't see myself the way that other people saw me. Like People started complimenting me on my looks and I just didn't understand it at all. So when I got this message, I was like, um, are you sure? Um, I think I actually said that to her. I've got the message somewhere. Anyway, she contacted me and she was quite pushy, as they generally are. Um, <laughs> sorry if anyone's a modelling agent in here. And I said, no, I was, said I wasn't interested. And I remember telling my parents and I was like, oh, I got this message, but I told them no. And she, my mum was like, you should just give it a go. Like, why not? So then I did. I did the modelling course that they recommended, which was something outrageous. Like what does one actually do in a modelling course? You know, I can't remember all of it. I remember doing a test photo shoot and I still have those photos somewhere and they are shocking. They're so bad. They're like star shots, like those... <laughs> oh, they weren't like... Not like super... Studio 2000. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, like those shopping centre ones where you But go they're similar. They're they have bad. some, they're great. So bad. No and I was seen. like, oh, this is not my calling. <laughs> but <laughs> we did a photo shoot. We did some like catwalk practice, posture things... I don't know. I think we did a bit of role play as well with castings. So you'd sort of get an idea of how that was. Um, it was okay. Like, I felt like it actually helped my confidence a little bit. But, yeah, then she just kept pushing really hard for me to keep doing more photo shoots and keep getting more photos because you've got to build that portfolio. And so I did it every now and then, but I was more focused on study. So I did my first year of uni and then I moved to Sydney. So I took a year off. After that, because she said to me, you know, we think that you have amazing potential, you should go, you should go model in Japan. And if you do that, you can earn like $20,000 in six weeks or something ridiculous. As a, an 18-year-old I was then, I was like, that's so much money, you know. It was very appealing. And I feel like that's so much money now still. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> I know, but even like then, I was, I, you know, I'd earn $100 in a nine-hour shift or something outrageous. I was like, whoa, I'm going to be rich. Go McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> Dan Murphy's actually. I was a checkout chick. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that was not a good job. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I was like, what's the catch? And the catch was that I had to get my hip measurements down. So she never said specifically, you need to lose weight, but obviously when you have to change your hip measurement, that means lose weight. So at the time, I, I think my hips were 94 centimetres. Hopefully it means nothing to anyone. You don't need to measure your hips. Um, but it had to be under 90 centimetres, which is pretty tiny. That is so small. And the only reason I know, because I was a ballerina when I was much younger, and same thing, they never explicitly say you need to be you know, X, Y, Z, but they'll kind of just give you a meal plan. Oh, and yeah. you're like, I'm Here eight. <laughs> I'm eight years old. Oh, it's so I bad. I don't even have a metabolism because it hasn't started yet. Yeah. Puberty, I don't even know what that means. Like, let's like, stunt that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. In very, like, just crazy the things that you think about now, how green you were and yeah. how... Well, I was like, cool, four centimetres, that's nothing. I can do yeah. that. Yeah. Not knowing that in order to lose four centimetres off my hip, I had to lose, like... 10, maybe 15 kilos. I don't know how much in the end, but it was a lot. But I was I around... I read that you were below 50 kilos at your height. Yeah. Which is quite 
in extreme. I was, yeah, I became very sick. Yeah. And so around, was that, was it in the context of that environment that the eating disorder began? Yeah, for sure. That, I mean, that was the catalyst. Yeah. I think that I had a bit of a weird relationship with food anyway because it had been like a comfort thing and then suddenly it wasn't, but there was, it was always in the back of my mind. Like I think when I got stressed, it was something that I felt like I could turn to but shouldn't if that makes sense. So it was sort of sitting there, but then when uh, I was told to lose weight, it was instant that food was then a negative thing. It was like, I could only eat certain things. I restricted my diet completely to the point where I was losing weight really quickly. And at first it was kind of like, I was like, oh, I'm good at this. And my perfectionist side in me was like, oh, this is just like another, you know, thing that I can tick off and I can try and do really well at. So it became a bit addictive. And that's, I think, where it often starts. That I was addicted to seeing the numbers going down and I was addicted to the feeling. And also, everyone was telling me that I looked really good. So constantly, like, people that I hadn't seen in a while, they'd come up and tell me, oh, my God, you look amazing. So it's always sort of related to losing weight, which is so bad, just people commenting on, like, that you look healthy, but I was at my most unhealthy. I mean, that stopped after a while when I lost more weight because I started to look really sick. But in the interim, like that sort of mid-range weight, everyone was telling me I was looking my best, particularly my agent too. But yeah, I think it started as a, as a control sort of thing. And then I lost control because I didn't know how to just stay the same. Like I got really good at losing the weight, but then I couldn't stop. So how do you ever break that cycle once you've gotten yourself into it and once the environment around you isn't setting up any kind of triggers for you to realise? Because I had a, not definitely not, not an eating disorder, but I lost a lot of weight through the parasite that I had in Africa, but went through a similar process anyway in that I lost five kilos. Everyone was like, oh, wow, you look really fit. Lost yeah. 10 kilos. And everyone was like, are you unwell? Yeah. Like, what is happening? But I couldn't even tell like I in I look back at photos now I'm like how would I ever go in, out in public looking like that but at the time you think like you just look in the mirror and you see yourself there was a bit of that a bit of body dysmorphia I think but at the same time when I'd go it was ten, dependent on the I guess the setting so when I went into my agent they were like you look amazing and I was like I'm gonna die and then I would go <laughs> home. My family told me I looked disgusting, like my sister particularly. I remember her putting sunscreen on my back. It was summer and all of my bones on my back were sticking out and I was growing hair on my back um, because my body was just trying to keep warm and I was losing the hair on my head and I did look like a skeleton. And my sister was putting sunscreen on me like I was a leper, like she was like not wanting to touch me properly. She's like, you look foul. So the contrast between my agent telling me I looked like the best I've ever looked and then my sister literally not wanting to touch me um, made me sort of look at myself and think, okay, something's wrong. And then photos with friends. Like photos in a modelling shoot, when you're not next to anyone, when you're by yourself, you actually look in proportion. And this is why I think people don't realise like how small the Victoria's Secret models are because they're all next to each other and they're all tiny. But you put them next to your average size woman, they look tiny but so when you're by yourself or alongside other skinny models you kind of look normal in photos but then next to your friends like I have photos next to a few of my friends or next to my siblings and I look so sick I just look like a lollipop like my head was huge my body was tiny um so I I, I get what you're saying like I, there was a little bit of that like sometimes when I was like oh I'm not that skinny but then 
I remember having moments where I'd look at myself and think, okay, I'm, yeah, I look a little bit sick. And then how did you learn how to be able to support yourself out of that? Because I think particularly when you are a perfectionist and when you have intertwined your whole understanding of your work and your worth and your value and also the relationship with food already being so complicated, how do you, like particularly for anyone else who's experiencing or has experienced or knows someone and is trying to support them through it, what helps you get out of that? Because now I think you're such a good ambassador for mental health and positive body image. But to get yourself there from the point that you were is no mean feat. Yeah, Particularly it, now that you're still in the public eye, which makes it kind of even harder. Yeah, I think people find it hard to understand how I got um, to where I am now and got through that. But it, it took a really long time. Like, at my absolute worst, it was when I was at my skinniest. And I had really bad anxiety and depression. And I got diagnosed with that. But I didn't tell... Like, I, I was basically at rock bottom. I called my mum when I'd had a massive panic attack. And I just couldn't breathe and I didn't know what to do. Like, I just couldn't get myself together. Um, I was having suicidal thoughts a lot. And she said, okay, I need to take you to the doctor. And we went to the doctor and, yeah, ended up with the diagnosis of severe anxiety and severe depression. But I hid all of the eating stuff and the weight stuff and all of the questionnaires that ask you, you know, have you noticed weight loss or anything like that? I just avoided those questions and... I knew how to sort of, I guess, trick the system with that. I wanted to feel better mentally, but I didn't want to yet put on weight. So I didn't want them to know. I didn't want anyone to know what to look for because then I knew that they'd try and stop me. So I think that's part of the problem is people with eating disorders, you don't want to get better because of the the fear of gaining weight becomes so significant that it sort of outweighs the fact that you know that you're destroying your body. But... After a while, the fear of eventually maybe not being able to have children or not being able to live uh, started to outweigh that for me. So I started to sort of see the light and see that I needed to get better, but it still, I did it by myself. So it was, it was bloody hard. I just can't even imagine how, I mean, the, the fact that you have come so far and been able to go back into an industry that is kind of related to the industry that triggered it to begin with means that the recovery recovery must have been even more dramatic for you to be strong enough now to do that and to know you know to have gotten to the point of suicidal thoughts and being able to still pull yourself back is absolutely extraordinary thank you but I think one of one of the hardest things it's obviously so incredibly challenging for you going through it but to know how to support you through it as someone who loves you and supports you but doesn't understand what's going through your head yeah did you so my family all along had said you know, we think you're sick, you need help. And I was just denying the whole time. Like, I just kept saying, I'm fine. I'm just doing this for modelling. I'm just, you know, I had all of these reasons and excuses. And my sister kept saying, part of your problem is that you don't even know that you're sick. I was like, you're an idiot. But she was right. And (laughs) I feel really bad now. Like, we've spoken about this recently. Like, she was so... Her... My sister's quite... She's not very good at communicating and she gets very angry and that was sort of her way of showing that she loved me was that she was just angry at me and that wasn't very helpful. Um, And she obviously now knows that. Um, But it was hard because I knew I could see how much I was hurting her but then I also just didn't want to get better because I still wanted to keep modelling and I didn't end up going to Japan, by the way. So all of this happened and I didn't get the (laughs) $20,000. Rude. I know, ripped off. 
Um, but yeah, I got to a point where I was modelling in Sydney. I was going to like four castings a day, five days a week. So, you know, 20 castings a week and maybe booking one of those jobs. But you just sort of sit by your phone waiting to hear. And at that point, I was literally eating like this much muesli for breakfast, like tiny amount, handful. Um, a coffee in the morning, an apple for lunch, maybe a coffee later, but no milk. Um, and then like half a fillet of fish for dinner. And I was living off of that every day as well as over-exercising completely, like running, you know, 8Ks a day. And I just don't know how. Like I did almost faint quite a bit. But I don't know how my body kept functioning. But I did get sick constantly. I ended up with a really bad kidney infection and my body was telling me that I needed to stop. So eventually my dad was like, you need to come back to Adelaide. So there was a lot going on family-wise too. So I went back. And I was like, I'm never modelling again. Yeah, I was sort of... I had this very bitter taste in my mouth from modelling. And I was, yeah, determined that I would never go into the industry or anything like it again and just went back to studying speech pathology. It's interesting that it does sometimes require a complete environmental change. Like, the things that are triggering and encouraging those thought processes. Like, I think a lot of people who are outside of the modelling or the talent industry don't really ever think about it because they don't have to, but don't think about the fact that getting a job or not getting a job most of the time in a skills-based industry is based on your experience and your your ability to do the things that, you know, is the criteria. But in modelling, it's literally your face and your body. So when you get yeah. a, a no, it's, we don't like this. And I can't imagine having to do that 20 times in one week and still oh, being able and to wake up and be like, me... I'm an author. Yeah. <laughs> My hair, when I went there, was down to here and like blonde-ish. By the time I moved back to Adelaide, it was up here and it was brown because no. they were like, mm, let's just change that because I wasn't booking enough. So they're like, we'll just change your hair. But then I still wasn't booking enough. So then you're constantly thinking and your agency is telling you as well, if you're not getting the jobs, you're not, you're not good There's enough. There's something wrong. Yeah. yeah. So how did you then rebuild your relationship with yourself and your worth? Was it because you were in such a different industry that was working on other parts, like completely non-visual parts of yourself? Was it because you were back in a smaller town? Was it with the help of a therapist? Like what really helped you re-heal yourself? I think, I mean, therapy helped. My psychologist definitely helped, but I still wasn't open about my eating issues. So... When I moved back to Adelaide, I was like, I'm not going to keep starving myself, but my eating issues were still there. So I just didn't look... Like, when I was really sick, I looked anorexic. But I became bulimic, but I didn't look it. So I looked better, and people were then telling me that I looked better, but I wasn't. Mentally, my, I was really struggling still, binging and purging a lot of the time. And it was still a control thing, but then it was... I felt more out of control because you couldn't see it. And I was sort of more ashamed because I thought, well, if I tell people now that I have an eating disorder, they'll be like, oh, you're not even skinny. You know, like I felt that... And, and a lot of people with bulimia feel that because often people who are bulimic don't actually... aren't actually that thin. And that's part of the problem. You can't control your weight by being bulimic and you don't see it from the outside. So not as many people notice, not as many people flag it with you and people tell you that you look fine, but, yeah, I wasn't. I've actually had a couple of friends who have suffered from bulimia and the really hard thing is because they eat in front of you, 
it's not as obvious as anorexia yeah. might be where you can kind of observe people's behaviours around you and, and know that, you know, they might need your support in a different way. But yeah. with bulimia, unless you are around that, living with them or in that kind of context, it's very, very difficult. Yeah, for sure. And then you can't offer support if you kind of don't know that it's needed. Yeah, so no one was really reaching out like they were initially. And in a way, I liked it because I was like, oh, well, no one notices anymore and I can sort of keep getting by. But at the same time, there were days where I just didn't feel like getting out of bed and I was like, I need help, I need to sort this out. Um, but it took a really, really long time. Like, I think about five years I was oh sick for, yeah. Um, it was such a big chunk of your life. Yeah, it was a long time. And so now to, like, for most people, I think, to look at you now, you were the picture of health and glowing, mm. absolutely <laughs> seemed like such a together, level-headed, you know, intelligent woman. It's so scary, I think, to hear that, so many people go through this. They've That's spent the big chunks of their lives. Knowing how long I hit it for and how well I hit it, I think there's so many... Like, the statistics show that there are so many people with eating disorders, but I think there's so many more than, that we don't know about because it is this shameful thing and there's so much stigma around it, which is part of the reason I like to talk about it because I don't want people to feel embarrassed and I think you know, so many more people relate than what you'd expect. The amount of messages I get when I, whenever I talk about it on Instagram is just... It's amazing, but it's terrifying. But most of the girls say, you know, I haven't spoken to my mum or I haven't told my best friend, but they start telling me everything because I've been vulnerable and then they feel like they could be vulnerable too. Um, but, yeah, it was about five years of being bulimic and I was abusing laxatives and I was just sort of doing all the things that make you feel like... It make you feel lighter and sort of expel everything from your body. Laxatives don't actually do anything. They just really mess up your gut. Um, so I'm still dealing with the messed up gut now. Um, but what I started doing was I still hadn't told anybody, but I really wanted to get better. So I was like, I'm going to... Like, I was good at losing weight. I was like, now I'm going to get good at getting better. So... Everything is just a mind game <laughs> yeah. with ourselves. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So I started putting a cross in my diary for every day that I hadn't made myself sick. And there were times that I'd relapse, you know, something really stressful would happen, like my dad would get sick. That was always a massive trigger. So I'd make it like maybe 100 days or something and then I would binge and purge. And But then I was like, okay, I got to 100, next time I need to get to more. And then I'd just keep going and then eventually, yeah, it's been like three years now. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Oh. I feel a bit like I'm at an AA meeting. <laughs> Three years sober. Yeah. I need to get you a badge. <laughs> no, but I think that is one of the really tough things is one of the most inspiring and guiding things for anyone who's going through anything is hearing other people who have been through it before and knowing that you can come out the other end. But the, the difficulty with this particular issue is the stigma that surrounds it means that people aren't very open about it because it's so awkward and they feel like they're letting people down or they feel yeah. like it's this shameful secret. So when I when you agreed to talk about it tonight, I was just like, I can't even express how grateful I am for that because I think that's the only way to help others because... That could be for someone. This conversation could be for somebody, the trigger that makes them go, I, I can actually make it I 100 so. days. Because I know the feeling of when you are in the depths of it and it keeps happening and it's happening again and you're just controlled by your thoughts of food and, and your weight and your body. And every, you know, every time you look in the mirror, you feel awful. Mm. And I remember thinking, like, that's why I was having suicidal thoughts because I couldn't imagine a life not thinking about that. Mm. And days that I wouldn't 
you know, I spent every day sort of planning when I could exercise, when I could eat, and what I could avoid so that I wouldn't have to eat. And you're just completely consumed by it. So, yeah, I I remember feeling like there was definitely no way I I could picture a future. Mm. So I do hope that, you know, someone listens to this and it makes a difference for them because there is a light at the end of the tunnel. you just got to really push to get to it. And for you, the light has been incredibly sparkly (laughs) and is glowing brighter every day. So I'm, I'm really interested to hear how... It has only really been three years, but Miss yeah. Universe was two years ago. So that was only one year after yeah. having been able to put this world behind you. And I think one of the hardest things about going through anything traumatic or intensely you know, transformative is that it takes you a really long time to be able to talk about it. You know, that even if you're over it and, and settled with it yourself, to be able to openly speak about it with others takes years after that. So, oh, I thought I was going to cry tonight because I usually do when I yeah. think about it, but I didn't. I put lashes on because <laughs> I was like, if there's mascara anywhere near my eyes, it's just going to go <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> so how, do, how did you get yourself to the point to not, be, not only be able to speak about it? Oh, hi. hey, thanks. <laughs> it's a nice background noise. <laughs> Yeah, how did you get yourself to the point? What are some of the, you know, the best tools that you relied on to be able to not only recover, but to make a full return back into quite a public life? Because speech pathology and private practice would have been a very easy place for you to not become reclusive, but to kind of keep any Just temptation. maintain my mental health, yeah. Yeah. How did you then decide after having abandoned the world altogether and had a, a really great career... When did you decide I'm actually going to come back out and trust myself to be resilient? In a way, I, well, I said no initially to doing Miss Universe. So people get scouted for Miss Universe, um, DMs usually or... Is it really just yeah, a DM? DMs or emails. Wow. Yeah. I know. So there a lot of the go. time people don't think I'm it's I'm still legit. waiting for mine. Especially... Oh. <laughs> We have the director, Troy, sometimes he DMs girls and they're like, who is this creepy man DMing me telling me to apply for Miss Universe? So they, a lot of people like block him or ignore it. And I'm like, you don't, you shouldn't be DMing from your account. Yeah, that's <laughs> oh, the creepiest the Miss thing Universe I've ever one. I know, I think he's learnt now. Um, but yeah, emails, I got an email and I was like, oh God, no, like that, even reading it was giving me anxiety. I was like, that's going to be the biggest trigger for me. Um, thank you, but no thank you. And then... I told mum about it, but she was like, oh, yeah, good choice. Like, let's leave that. Yeah, and sensible. then they emailed again and they were quite persistent. And I had a chat to a few people that were involved in the organisation and it had changed hands and apparently the organisers I was told were great and which they are, I now know for sure. But I was very apprehensive. But mum then was like, why don't you just give it a go if, if anything is, you know, giving you anxiety or anything, you just evacuate (laughs) abort yeah so I I thought what's the harm in just doing sort of the first round or the first like see how I go Mm -hmm. and I did say to them if you tell me to lose weight then I'm gonna have to quit because I had then it only really had been like six months or so that I had crosses in my diary so I think six months was the longest I'd made it and it was literally the first round of you not having relapsed wow yeah so yeah I was like yeah, if they tell me to lose weight, I'll quit. I'll just avoid that sort of situation. And then I made it through to the nationals. And so there were 32 of us from all over Australia. And then you go on a Bali trip. And that was definitely, thinking about that was very triggery. Like the food organisation. Not and the like food, but 
being in bikinis around yeah. the most beautiful girls across the country, you know, and everyone taking photos the whole time. I'd never been confident in a bikini from a young age because I still felt like that insecure child. And then when I got too skinny, people would judge me in a bikini because I was too skinny. And then, yeah, I just didn't feel comfortable. So I was really nervous about that. But then it was so much fun. And I just was really careful to make sure that I was checking in with myself and making sure that I was doing the things that I need to do, which is exercising and eating, you know, nourishing foods, not restricting myself and not overthinking it, getting sleep. And yeah, just checking in, making sure I was okay. And I had the time of my life. I was like, this is great. You know, I never thought, oh my God, I'm going to win Miss Universe. That wasn't the intention at all. It was just... I'm just going to have fun and this is just an experience. And, yeah, I was loving it. How much like Miss Congeniality is it actually in your <laughs> life? No, but really important question. No, but really. <laughs> um, well, we don't have to do a talent, which is good because oh, I don't really? know what I would have done. You could have just painted. I don't know if you can do that. Like, <laughs> on quickly the on the stage, <laughs> yeah. I can wiggle my ears. I could have done that. I actually read that you could wiggle your ears. Mm. It's, it's literally written is down it? here. Yeah. <laughs> the last question, second last question is always... <laughs> The three most interesting things about oh, so you've you. got wiggle ears. Ear wiggle, capitals. Oh. <laughs> well, we'll get to that. I'll do it later. So that's one, everybody. She None can wiggle her ears. On. There's no um, like, camera to zoom in. No. Oh, what a no. shame. <laughs> Too lo-fi. <laughs> but yeah, yeah no so talent. What? Okay, that's um, no baton twirling. There was no sabotage that I knew of. Mm-hmm. I know in past years, like, it's really changed... Trump used to own the I was going to say, well, now a certain person has been removed yeah. from the organising committee. So the girls are very different back then because, I mean, like Jennifer Hawkins, for example, like she's done amazing things, but prior to entering, she was a promo girl mm. and that's kind of all she had to her name, whereas now, like Priya, who just competed internationally... She's a human um, rights lawyer. She's amazing, yeah. She studied law and politics. She's a policy advisor. She's super smart. Um, So you definitely have to have a lot to your name now, whereas back then, I don't know, like it wasn't the same. There are a lot lot more women that wouldn't speak English because they hadn't hadn't necessarily gone on to study more, whereas now they all have degrees in all sorts of things. Um, But so it sounds like there was a lot more cattiness, like people putting things in people's drinks and that sort of thing but not, so not like my the movie year. no yeah that sounds like more like miscongeniality maybe that was based on truth but not on recent times but no, no like going to Bali with all those girls was amazing and what went through your head when you were like I am actually Miss Universe Australia like what happens when they announce that are you just like I said I'm gonna wear my pants like what and I literally looked at the judges and I said what the fuck <laughs> And she was dropped an F-bomb on yeah. stage. And Amazing. this was when all the cameras were on me because I'd literally just got the crown on my head and the judge was like, don't do that. Yeah, we're going to just take that like, right oh. back. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. I was just so shocked. Like there was not one part of me that thought that they were about to say my name. I just didn't expect it at all. So yeah, it was shock. And I'm so glad that you're not an ugly crier. Because oh, all the photos of you cry. being crowned are beautiful. I they're was like, crying a lot. Oh, no. They were also, I was standing like, <laughs> there. I had my hand on my chest because I was like, when I said <laughs> the F-bomb. And then I was like, I don't know what to do. I just sort of froze. Because in rehearsals, we'd practice what you do if you won. But I was like, it's not going to be me. I don't really need to pay attention. You're not meant listening. to turn your back. Like, you're not meant to face the girls. I did that straight up. 
Um, and then after you'd already gone the wrong direction in your dance I I said what the fuck and then I yes that too and then I turned around and they were like turn around all the girls were shouting at me like you're facing the wrong way I think they've dropped their standards a little bit guys yeah I know I don't know why I won (laughs) still and then (laughs) and then they were like all of the cameramen were like wave so I did this awkward wave so all the photos you see I know my hand is my fingers are stuck together I didn't know how to wave. I was like, oh. <laughs> it was all... So my modelling course didn't include waving to the public. <laughs> that wasn't part of it. Um, yeah, I was like, I'm, it was massive imposter syndrome. I had a lot of that for the whole year that I was Miss Universe. I was like, I don't know why I've got the crown, but here we go. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. And one of the most amazing things is that it's been able to give you a platform to then speak about the things that you're really passionate about. Yeah. And I think a lot of people would enter the competition and if they did win, kind of be like, what do I do with this audience? And for anyone who is really passionate about a cause and about connecting with people, there'd be a little bit of cognitive dissonance between, like, I've got all these followers, but what am I actually going to use it for? And oh, But I love how you've been able to very, very quickly turn it around towards advocacy, so almost in a way because... It helps you keep yourself accountable as well. But that's the thing. I think when I went, when I did say, okay, I'm just going to do it. I thought, if I'm really open about my mental health from the beginning, and I tell people that I had an eating disorder, it's going to hold me accountable because they're going to be watching. And you can't relapse when you're, you know, exactly out all the time. <laughs> if I told them all that I had an eating disorder and then I stopped eating, they'd be like, okay, here we go again. So I, from the start, was very open about it. And I think Miss Universe helped me because, for one, they didn't... They never told me to change my body. They were nothing but positive about how I looked. And same on the international stage as well. I went to Vegas and and being there, there were 93 girls from all over the world and everyone has a different body type. And it was, in a way, it made me more comfortable in my body too because you're also different but you appreciate people's bodies for what they are rather than their flaws. I think when you are on the stage, you think... I mean, like, it's a very weird feeling. Um, I but can't you do still think... get my head around it. I'm like, I just can't imagine being, oh, no, like, almost naked right now and being like... Yeah, here I am. <laughs> yeah. Judge me. Take photos from all my <laughs> angles. Yeah, it's pretty... I, yeah, it was scary. But being on the stage was actually really fun because they're always playing really upbeat music. It's not like... You don't have to try and be sexy. I'm not good at that, so that's lucky. Like, you're <laughs> encouraged Josie. to smile and, like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not either, don't worry. <laughs> you're encouraged to smile and just, like, have a good time and yeah. show that you're confident and happy in your body. And I think that's the thing is that... You can't win. A lot of people are against the swimwear aspect of the competition. And I do understand that. Like, I understand where they're coming from. But I also think it shows to get on the stage and own it. Mm. And especially being through what I've been through and putting my body through what I put my body through. And being able to, you know, bring it and be one of the first Miss Universe Australias to not have had a boob job. (laughs) That is actually a huge achievement. Wow, natural boobs for Olivia. Um, my <laughs> Not what I thought we'd be giving you a round of applause for. But <laughs> no, neither, but thank you. Um, They're great. You know, you can win without boobs, so that's a bonus. I've yeah, got negative to... boobs, though, so I don't know if that counts. I mean, kind of same. Just get some padding in there, it's all right. But, yeah, to be able to do that and then enjoy yourself, mm. I think it takes a lot of courage. And also a lot of confidence and a lot of self-love. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been able to do that when I was 22. Like it yeah. did, I was 25 when I won and I had come such a long way. 
And I feel like you can't be a great role model if you aren't in that position, if you can't love your body for what it is and appreciate your body Mm. and learn to love yourself. And I feel like that's why that part's in there. It's not necessarily to have the perfect body because nobody has the perfect body. There's, you know, so many different bodies out there. Mm. But they want you to be fit and healthy and strong and confident and that's what it was about, yeah. I'm just so excited for you and for the transformation that you've been able to make through then and since then Mm. to now be talking about this and knowing that it's having a really positive impact for people in the same position as you. Thank you. So what have been the coolest things that have come out of it that you've been able to do? I know you work with the Butterfly Foundation a lot and have done some amazing collaborations like with Sports Girl using your art on scrunchies that the funds then go to the Butterfly Foundation, which is... Yeah, that was cool. The kind of thing that you have been able to use that whole experience and the publicity that comes with it towards such a good cause. Yeah. What are some of the coolest things that have happened? What are some of the less cool and less glam things that have happened? That's a really hard question. (laughs) Um, We love the behind the scenes nitty gritty. So (laughs) any fun facts? (laughs) Well, the cool things is definitely the people that I get to meet, the the places that I get to travel. I recently went to Nepal and that was amazing. You know, something that probably wasn't on my bucket list, but... I got to do it and now it should be on your bucket list because it's an amazing place. Yeah, it's opened doors to so many things that I never would have expected that I'd be able to do. And one of them definitely was competing on the international stage and being, you know, at Miss Universe with all these amazing women and standing on the stage with Steve Harvey and, like, (laughs) he told me that I was going to win and he was wrong, so... Um, <laughs> wow. Did you get him to sign something? Like, you could totally sue. No. He winked at me before I went on stage. He's like, you've got this. And then I didn't even make the top, what was it, 16. I was like, God, Steve should have been a judge. It might have helped me. <laughs> um, but all, that whole experience is pretty amazing. Justin thinks I tell this story too much, but I got to meet Leo DiCaprio. Which oh, my God. Cool. How is that not the first story that we heard? What is he like? He's like, you're still talking about it. It was only two years ago. It's pretty fresh. I think Josie's just like, can we get married already so I can lock that (laughs) shit down? (laughs) (laughs) I'm really happy the Leo DiCaprio story came out. What is he like? Is he amazing? He was just very chilled. It's Um, a shame. I was really expecting a lot of it. No, he's very relaxed. We met at One Oak. I'm sure you went to One Oak when you were in LA. Yeah. I was with this promoter and he and I was still Miss Universe Australia, so he kept telling everyone that. I don't think he actually knew my first name. He was just saying Miss Australia. Everyone, he's like, oh, my God, meet Miss Australia. I was like, hi. He did my wave. Hi, um, Leo. <laughs> so we got this booth and we were standing up, dancing on the booth, and he was introducing me to literally every person that came past that he knew, which was pretty much everyone. And then he's like, Miss Australia, meet my friend Leo. And I was like, not expecting it to be the yeah, Leo. You're like, Who? Yeah, and then I turned around and he was there in his baseball cap. Yes, he always wears that. Dad bod. Mm. Yeah. Is it a dad bod though? That's also a real shame. No, it is, but, you know, he's still Leo. And then, so I shook his hand and I gave him one hand to shake with and he put two hands on my hand. Oh, that's intimate. Nice to meet you. He's like, (laughs) it's a pleasure to meet you. I was like, okay. (laughs) And Judge is like, eye rolling over there, like, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) <laughs> then he's like, meet my friend Toby, and Toby Maguire was to oh my Oh, my left. God. I was like, oh, my God, this is so weird. Like, Because they're, they're besties, you know? Yeah, Apparently of course. go everywhere With together. You in, you know, three musketeers. Obviously. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> and I was dancing, and, like, my heel went, the, like, off the back of the ledge we were dancing on, <gasps> and he caught me. Oh. And I was like, oh, Spidey, still Sorry. got the moves. <laughs> so he thought I was really funny. He asked oh my, my number. I know. 
Yeah, that was Did he cool. ask for your number? Yeah. This is why he doesn't like the story. I know, Chelsea but it's still is a good the fiance, story. by the way, just for context. <laughs> <laughs> oh if my something gosh. like that happened to Justin with some, like, Beyonce, I'd let you tell the story. Yeah. yeah. He's like, I don't have that story, though, unfortunately, <laughs> to tell anybody tonight. <laughs> and now you've also gone back to private practice, which I think yeah. is amazing. What made you decide to do that and how are you kind of juggling all these different parts of your brain? Honestly, juggling it's pretty hard. So I didn't practice. For the year of Miss Universe, you are Miss Universe. I mean, Priya is still working in her job, but it's been quite tricky for her to be able to get the time off and balance it all. For me, I because I hadn't yet got a job in Melbourne as a speech pathologist, I'd left my job in Adelaide. I thought, I'm not going to sign a contract with someone just to then be taking off lots of time. So I thought I would just commit fully to Miss Universe and it was the best thing I could do because then I was available for anything and everything. So I said yes to all of the opportunities. I was constantly flying into state and sort of all over the place. So yeah, I didn't practice for that year. And then the year following it, I thought I should ride the wave while it's there. And there's only so much you can do the year of Miss Universe because you have all the sponsors. So when you go out on your own, it's actually... Kind um, of liberating for you to be yeah. able to so, work with the companies you want to work with. Definitely. And I got a lot more work. That's when it sort of starts to come in. So um, I thought, again, it would be a bit silly to commit to speech. But then Justin and I did a big six-week trip in Europe this year and... And got engaged. And got engaged. (laughs) He did good. But yeah, so the whole time there, I kept saying to him, like, I think I want to go back to speech pathology. I was just missing using that part of my brain. Going to all of the things we get to go to is amazing. But... I had studied for four years to do something that's quite challenging and every day you've, you've got different clients and you're constantly thinking about what you should be doing with them and, and meeting different people in that space. Um, I really miss that and I miss helping people. I mean, obviously, I've been doing the charity work, which is great and I love that and I probably get the most satisfaction from that. But then I was like, why am I not doing at least one day a week or something? Um, so, yeah, we got back and I applied for the first job that came up. They wanted a casual and got it. And it's been perfect because my boss is a legend and I get to work with children with special needs, which is what I really wanted to do. And so it's good, but it's been, it's definitely been a challenge. I can imagine fitting in and, and even switching between different sides of your brain, like even between, even in business, between our businesses, I get really like wigged out when I try yeah. and have to like change hats. It's almost harder just doing the one day. Like yeah. I've, a couple of times now I've done two days in a row and it's been easier because you're sort of in that mind frame for a little bit longer. Mm. Whereas when I dip in and out just one day a week, it's sort of, I feel like I'm an imposter. Mm. My God, I shouldn't be here. Um, (laughs) old imposter syndrome. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Especially when you've got paying clients. I'm like, oh, I don't know if you should be paying me. (laughs) I mean, I think I'm a good speech pathologist, guys. If (laughs) If anyone's in the market. (laughs) (laughs) Not an actual imposter, but it feels like that at times for sure. (laughs) And just before we move on to the next section, one of the things I love about you is that with all the glitz and the glam of all the events that you get to go to, which is such a privilege and so exciting, it is actually, like, and this sounds so silly, it's actually very difficult sometimes to line up enough outfits and, like, always put your best foot forward, especially with the expectations of being Miss Universe. I can imagine even I feel sometimes like I'm like, oh, my God, like, what am I going to wear? And I'm not Miss Universe. So one of the things I <laughs> I'm not love... Either. Not anymore. <laughs> former. Former. Um, but one of the things I love is that you do outfit repeating. Yeah. And it's kind of your way of making light of the fact that, you know, sometimes you just have to wear the same dress twice. Oh, my God, God forbid. I know. Well, I think Tell that us about we that. all perpetuate the problem because we're all sort of... 
it's sort of an unspoken thing. I don't think anybody ever actually says, oh my God, she's worn that before, how embarrassing. But <laughs> we think people are saying that. So then we're like, every new event, you think, oh, I've got to wear something new. Um, but even, you know, before I had Instagram, I felt that pressure. I think just as young women, we're sort of told that you've got to, you've got to look your best and you've got to wear something different and interesting. And, but I have been outfit repeating for as long as I can remember because if I buy something, I buy it because I really love it and then I want to wear it as much as I can wear it. So I was doing it, not really thinking about it, and then I was like, I need to actually acknowledge this and show people that it's okay to wear your outfit more than one time, you know, the clothes are made to wear more than once. Um, and I love like higher boutiques and that whole concept. And I was like, why am I not doing that? Hiring out clo my clothes would be um, too much admin. Um, so I was like, this is my way of sort of making a difference. And I think, yeah, by showing that you can style the same outfit in a different way and then it looks completely different, you know, change your hair, change your makeup, change your shoes and Bob's your uncle. So <laughs> I just started... Actually, Bob is actually my uncle. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Bob. Just FYI. <laughs> and we actually both hired our outfits tonight because I was like yeah. so conscious of the outfit repeating and I always outfit repeat. Like I, I actually had someone the other day, everyone probably, if you followed me ever, you'll have seen this yellow two piece because I wear it all the time. Oh, Someone I have the like, same one, the SWS. Yeah, 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 that exact one. Yeah, I saw you wearing I've it. I've worn it like three times too. Yeah, at seven. And like literally someone was like, you know that thing that you've been wearing over and over again? Like, where'd you get it? I'm like, oh, you're, <laughs> you're a stranger and you notice and you that know. I wore it over and over again. People maybe do notice. I should probably change but my it's clothes. good. Wear something until it gets holes in it, I yeah. reckon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I just think like knowing how much of our waste is fashion waste, it's just gobsmacking and quite disgusting. And, you know, obviously we promote fashion and... I love to support local brands and Australian brands particularly. Like when I went to Miss Universe, I only wore Australian labels, made a point of saying that because I wanted all the countries to see how good our clothes are. Um, but I think, you know, you sort of keep perpetuating the problem. So I was like, I need to somehow stop that. So, yeah, outfit repeating. And I love when people outfit repeat and then tag me or share their story yes. or something. I was like, just oh, about to say. Yeah. If um, anyone ever does it, please tag Olivia because yeah, she loves it. Yeah, please do. I love it. <laughs> um, so I think we pretty much covered a lot of the next section which is called an ATA. Sometimes, I think I've mentioned before, it's a little bit artificial to separate it from your ATA, particularly for you when it is such a big part of, you know, the story. But before we do move on to play TA, is there <laughs> any, are there any other big challenges that you've had, um, you know, along the way that have kind of obstructed your joy? Probably other people. I used to care a lot more about what people thought of me and I'd let their opinions get me down. Not so much anymore. But probably my mental health. I think along the whole journey, I hate that word, but what else way do I to say? Yay, babe. Come on. <laughs> way to yay. Along the way to yay. Um, that was my definitely my biggest obstacle. You know, I had other people telling me I was maybe not good enough, but I agreed with them, so... I was my biggest problem, I think. Are there any particular tools that you would highly recommend to someone else who's going through it? Like I have had like severe anxiety and depression diagnosed before in the past as well and have found things like meditation to be really, really helpful. Um, there are certain apps that are really good for just taking a minute, like Smiling yeah. Mind. I suck at meditating. I think I need to, to try harder to get into it, but, you know, <laughs> when you, you have to try to stop thinking and then I'm thinking about not thinking and I just can't do it so that's not really my thing but running is like I guess my form of meditation um I love running mm -hmm. and just like I said before looking after my health making sure I'm exercising regularly but you know because I want to not because of my weight or anything like that and 
eating regular, you know, nourishing meals and, yeah, just taking care of myself. Mm. And also psychologists, mm. seeking professional help for sure. I can't recommend that enough. People turn to me all the time for help, but I'm like, I can't do anything. You need to go to a professional for sure. Like literally once a week for the past five years, I've been to my psychologist That's and so I like, cannot recommend anything more highly. It's either like sometimes you really, really need to turn to them because your mental health is severely affected. Sometimes it's more just like a, a sorting out of everything in your brain and putting it back in together, like just getting it all out of the box, reorganising, plunking it back in. Sometimes it's even more a form of executive coaching, like just making sure that you are living up to your best potential. But there's just, it's just such a valuable thing and I think it's increasingly less stigmatised to talk about having a psychologist. But it is still something that a lot of people won't consider because it, it's almost like admitting that there's something wrong when you don't want to. Yeah. But I just can't encourage it True. more. more and I think also it is expensive, but it's <laughs> well worth the investment. This is why we can't have nice things. <laughs> Sorry, Nick. <laughs> so the very last section is called Play TA, which is my favourite because it's when you find out all of the things about the person that you don't normally find out because the main question we all ask is, this, you know, what's your name? What do you do? But we're human beings, not human doings, and yet that's the part that we tend not to talk about as much for some reason, even though it's the funnest. So, <laughs> outside of all of the things that you already do in your profession, in your vocation, and even outside of your art, what are the things that you do for your joy? Mm. Painting is a big one of them, um, which I haven't been doing enough of lately, but I need to make the effort to do more of that. Painting, Justin and I went fishing on Sunday, actually. I did see that you caught, caught a caught massive most, fish. Yes. <laughs> did you? He did, but mine oh. were bigger. Yes. <laughs> I see how this works. I win. <laughs> Getting a good picture. <laughs> um, we, the, Justin and my housemates are both over there as well. We all hang out a lot together. Hey, guys. We love uh, playing Articulate. Um, love a couple of board, board games. games. Yeah. <laughs> with some wines. That sort of thing on the weekend is like my ideal weekend. And hang out with Ziggy, taking him to the park. I don't know if you saw my story today, but he likes to go He down went down the, the round slide. Yes, <laughs> I saw that. Oh my god! Ziggy is so a funny. chow. His Instagram yeah. is a chow called Ziggy. Yeah, look him up. <laughs> it's vital that, that you do. He is a very cute teddy he bear. He literally this dog. morning ran over to the fence of the playground, like where the actual slide and stuff is, and was waiting there for me to open the gate. So I opened it up. He got the zoomies, which is when he just runs around really, really fast. Nick and gets crashes those. into things. Oh, do you? <laughs> around five p.m. You and Ziggy would get along. Yeah. Um, Ziggy's is always very random, but he was excited <laughs> to be at the playground, and then literally ran up the ramp and was just up there. And oh. he went down the slide. And it was like a circular slide. Yeah. It's just this big <laughs> fluff ball going around. It was amazing. That makes me yay. <laughs> but yeah, going back to Adelaide, that's yeah. what I oh, love going yes. to hang out with my family and we'll be doing that over Christmas. So, Oh, beautiful. Yeah, it'll be good. What about the wedding plans? Mm. How are they coming along? Ask Justin. Are you no. the planner? No, not at all. Actually. You don't wear the planning pants. He's like, no, I'm tapping out. Weddings aren't my thing. I was like, I've never been married before either, so <laughs> yeah. what are we doing? I can give you a book <laughs> yeah, of things. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you will be the expert now. Um, no, they're coming along. I've actually, we've actually booked quite a bit, um, but it's October next year oh, around Tully's yay. birthday. She's not that happy about that. Yeah. But <laughs> They've hijacked your birth month. I mean, how rude. I promise it'll be fun. <laughs> Yeah, well, you might meet the man of your dreams, so you might work At out the for wedding. everyone. That's yeah. why they're holding the wedding, for you, babe. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'm really excited about that. 
No, in Victoria. So Justin was born here, but he grew up in Perth. And obviously I grew up in Adelaide. So, you know, we did think about those places, but we met here and our life's here with Ziggy. So we thought we'd do it in Victoria. Is your aisle song going to be Fleetwood Mac? Oh, (laughs) you really did do your research. Always. I don't think it'll be the aisle song, but dreams will be in there for sure. Yeah, we booked our sax player the other day. (gasps) That's amazing. Sax players are so good. He is very good. (laughs) All right. And before we move to the... Every the same last two questions. Oh my god, I'm losing it already. This, <laughs> I made it all this way. You've done Before, well. The third last question is: <laughs> How do you kind of keep yourself in shape now and get you know what? How many hours sleep do you need? Like, what is kind of your routine of looking after yourself in in amongst all of the different things that you have going on? So sleep is a big one. You know, if I have locked in an, a workout in the morning, but I know that I need a good night's sleep, I'll cancel the workout and focus on my sleep because that is definitely a massive priority for me. I'm at my most anxious when I'm tired so I have to make sure I'm sleeping enough Um, and you know Justin and I don't mind a sleep in on a Sunday morning when we have the time that's the best like honestly until about midday sometimes and that I feel like that we really, do that too yeah. we don't tell people that no they're like I well I know five. it's kind of you feel a little bit ashamed but also I feel so much better for it so that definitely helps and then I love cooking like I try to cook as much as I can because I love eating you know lots of vegetables and healthy foods I feel like that really helps me mentally and then yeah exercising but not putting too much pressure on myself to exercise because I feel like like, obviously, I have said that I'm, I feel like I'm in remission of my eating disorder, but there are definitely triggers and there are definitely negative thoughts that come up and they will come up if I am not doing those things. And if I'm putting too much pressure on myself to exercise, I start getting those negative thoughts around exercise. So I just need, yeah, it's a fine line. So I've got to find that balance. Well, I think balance is one of those things that we think is a destination, but it's really just a journey and you never really get there anyway. But it's just a nice thing to aim for down the track. (laughs) So second last question, what are the three interesting things about you that don't normally come up in interviews? Well, you already told everyone or we told everyone that I wiggle my ears. Can you do it just quickly? I don't know. Because I feel like the listeners here need exclusive content compared to the audio listeners. Can you see? (laughs) (laughs) I can't do it when I smile. Oh, oh wow! There you go. Exclusive <laughs> if you can't see up the back, you can come up and um, find me, and I'll show you up close. <laughs> Sorry, audio <laughs> listeners. Maybe we'll take a story for publication at a later time. And the two um, others. Oh, what else? I hate noisy eating. Like I have. Oh, a I love phobia. pet peeves. Oh, I have a phobia. Like it makes me so anxious. Oh. Like if someone's eating really noisy in a takeaway place but I'm sitting there, I will opt for takeaway because <gasps> I just can't listen to oh. it. Justin, some, there are certain foods that he eats really noisily and I'll just look <laughs> at him I'm like, just, and he's like, what? I'm just, like, you know what? Do not. Close your mouth. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I'm the same though. I'm, t- I'm like it really bad me. at it. Nick or you're and a noisy always, eater. Yeah, they'll be like, oh God, don't eat snap on the cheese 500 metres away from me, please. <laughs> All right, we need to help you. I don't that. know what it is. Like, do I have weird teeth or something? I just, I'm like, nom, nom. even when I chew gum, you can hear it. Yeah, gum's a bad I one. I have a loud mouth. It's apples? Just, uh, apples are a problem. Yeah. You can't be having an apple near me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll save that for later then. Um, well, what else? Yeah, I can't tree. dive. Ooh. Like, I can't dive into a pool. 
it's just something that I like never... Like phobic or just No, won't. it's just something that I was really bad at and then my siblings would laugh at me. So then I just stopped trying. I was <laughs> like, I'm just terrible. not going to do that. But I, I worked as a lifeguard at a summer camp in America, but I couldn't dive. So you can't save any children? No, I'd, I'd like bomb in. I'd save them. But it wouldn't be a good entry. Oh, yeah. Like a belly flop or like... Probably. Wow. Maybe a pin drop. Maybe a... Oh, a pin drop. That's very inventive. <laughs> I like that. But I cannot dive. Um, wow. And I literally... I taught some kids how to dive. But what I did was I got the kid who was the best diver to, to demonstrate. demonstrate. I was like, oh, no, I won't do it. You're you a do delegator. It. I, I, it worked out very well. They all learned how to <laughs> dive so well. And I was critiquing them. But I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nope. Do it again. Do it again. Bad technique. Yeah. So keep your hands together. I don't know. Making it up. So very last question, since you all know I love motivational quotes so much, what is your favourite quote? Oh, I did think about this and I know that you often get really amazing, complex ones, but my parents always used to say to me to treat others how you want to be treated and I think that that's just a really nice one and I like to think about that most days, you know, if someone's not being very nice to you and it's probably because they're having a bit of a shitty day um, and so to think about that, yeah. I think that's such a beautiful one. Oh, thanks. So we are going to do a couple of questions. Ooh. I think I've probably gone over time. Why did no one give me a clock? This was a terrible idea. <laughs> um, I think I've already gone way over time, but we do still have some time for a few questions if anyone has any. Oh, front row. Um, I have two Commented. questions. <laughs> um, firstly, you mentioned, Sarah, before that you speak almost fluent Japanese. Oh, that's not true. I, I don't know where she got that. I did learn... That you're really yeah, I did learn Japanese at school for about five years and I was very good at it, but, I mean, that was like ten years ago and I can ask for your number and I can tell you my <laughs> name, but I can't <laughs> say much else. I wish that I could. I, I wish That's something that I really wish that I kept up yeah. and I feel like if I did a refresher that it would come back to me, but for now it's just pretty funny. Like at Teppanyaki, if I say to the chef, Demo Bangawa, that's what's your number, so they think it's quite funny. <laughs> One of them's given me, my, given me his Leo number, his but number? I do actually want to. Um, and the second question is, um, besides your wedding next October, mm -hmm. are you a big like goal setter for the years ahead? Do you, have you set any goals for 2020? Honestly, I'm not a big goal setter. That's a really good question, though. Yeah, my dad, with all of the things that I've done over the years, he's always like, okay, so what's next? I'm like, I don't know, Dad. Like, I'm kind of winging it, and that's kind of been... My mantra, I suppose. It's what I've been doing for the past few years, just winging it. Um, so, yeah, I like to sort of take things as they come. I feel like when I used to plan too much, it caused anxiety. So now I sort of just, yeah, roll with it, roll with the punches. And when good opportunities come up, I can say yes to them and, um, and yeah, see what happens. But definitely I'm loving working as a speech pathologist again. So that's going to be happening all through 2020 um, and wedding planning and then just seeing whatever whatever comes up. Great question. Any other questions? We have a mic for the question oh. down the back. <laughs> back row bandit. Hello. Come on down. Hello. Um, so, <laughs> Olivia, I was wondering in your practice that you do one day a week, mm -hmm. um, has any kids or any parents recognised that you're Miss Universe? And if they did, what was their reaction? <laughs> yeah, it was... <laughs> apparently it's happened a few times when they call the reception. Um, it happened yesterday and apparently the dad shouted in the background, is the speech pathologist Miss Universe? <laughs> she was like, oh. She didn't know how I wanted her to answer, but I don't really mind. I mean, it's going to come up, but I, I do like to keep it separate. I'm not going to tell the other clients 
um, what my other work is. So when I say to them, oh, I'm only in this practice on Thursdays, I think they assume that I'm just in another practice on the other days. But the home visit, the client that I see, usually it's just him and his mum in the session. But I was at their house and this time we were inside, so we weren't in the dirt, we were on the floor. And um, the grandpa and the grandma and the dad and the mum were all in the session and they were all just, like, gathered around smiling at me a bit weirdly. I was like, what is going on here? And about 15 minutes in, the grandma was like, so we hear that you were Miss Universe Australia, is that true? (laughs) And I was like, yeah. (laughs) Ooh, I didn't know where to to look. I just sort of kept going with the session. And then they'd obviously Googled me, so then they started asking, like, really specific questions. Like, I did this photo shoot last year for the races with heaps of horses. And the grandma was like, was it really scary, the shoot with all the horses? And like all these really specific <laughs> questions. So, but you know, I didn't want to be rude. I didn't want to shut it down. But then also I don't, you know, I'm there for the kids. So it's a bit tricky, but yeah, um, that's again, I'm just sort of winging it. There's, uh, there's no rule book for being Miss Universe and being a speech pathologist. <laughs> I don't really know what I'm doing. You're really trailblazing here. <laughs> <laughs> First of your kind. Yeah. <laughs> Any other questions? Amelia. Yeah. Oh, front row. Yeah. <laughs> hey, girl. This is your calling, Jen. Yeah. <laughs> that was very, like, deal or no deal. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the briefcase? <laughs> um, Olivia, I'm just wondering, um, on your way, uh, you said, into remission, was that a journey that um, was completely undertaken by yourself? Um, was it all self-motivated or did you need to work with psychologists and dietitians or were you hospitalised? What did that kind of look like for you, that moving into that recovery stage? It was all me. I don't recommend it. Um, I don't think it would have taken me as long as it did to get better if I had lent on other people. Um, you know, the Butterfly Foundation, for example, they had an amazing support um, and would have been for me if I'd reached out. But I was still sort of ashamed and I wanted to control it myself so I was just trying to do it on my own and I did but again I yeah I don't recommend it anybody who asks what they should do I'm like don't do what I did it's tricky to give advice when you've done it one way but you don't think that it's the right way but um but yeah I don't think it's the right way Amelia on her own journey has just published her first book I know I got a little squeeze of it before a cookbook it looks amazing so we'll have to share something about the book so everyone can hear what you've been doing. Definitely. It looks so good. Any other questions? Comments? Anything? Yeah. Well, oh, hey. oh. Um, you were talking about how you always were conscious about what other people thought of you. Mm-hmm. How, and you say now you're better at not considering what other people think of you. How did you overcome that? That's a really good question. I feel like it's something that comes with age. Um, I don't think there was like a moment where I was like, oh, I don't care anymore. And I still have days where I care more than others. I think as long as, like now I'm so sure of who I am and and what means the most to me. And I think as long as I'm, you know, living living my life the way I want to live it and I'm pleasing the people that actually matter to me, then that's all that really matters. So if people have opinions of me and what I'm doing or not doing, it doesn't really bother me because I know myself that what I'm doing is right for me. Hope that makes sense. Well, can we all please give Olivia the biggest round of applause? Thank you so, so much for joining us. You were absolutely wonderful. <laughs> it was an, an honour. You are a magnificent person and you are way too nice you to me, on the show. You. <laughs>
Oh, I'm still buzzing from this special night. Thank you to the beautiful Olivia for joining and to everyone else who came along. As always, please show Olivia your support by sharing and tagging at Olivia Molly Rogers. And there's a little quote of the day flipbook for the best share each week. Only a few episodes left of this year. Oh my gosh, what an amazing year it's been. Hope you're all having an amazing day and a seizing your yay.